I'd sell my soul for a donut. Well, that can be arranged. Flanders! You're the devil? <laughs> it's always the one you least suspect. Now, many people offer to sell their souls without reflecting upon the grave ramifications. Do you have a donut or not? Coming up. Just sign here. Careful, hot pen. Hmm. Who's that goat-legged fellow? I like the cut of his jib. Uh, Prince of Darkness, sir. He's your 11 o'clock. Folks, and welcome to the Sin Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill. With me tonight is a special guest. Uh, I, I forget the last time he's been on the show because there's loads of long gaps in recording for me sometimes. Uh, but Court Synapse is here. You guys know him. How you doing, sir? I am doing excellent. And I'm really stoked for this little experiment that we're doing where we're pairing up uh, three episodes that have a very similar theme. And the inspiration was I wanted to talk with you about a Walter Hill flick. That was, you know, basically the Daniel and De- the Devil and Daniel Webster with guitars <laughs> of Crossroads with starring Ralph Macchio. And I guess you already covered that with a Walter Hill, right? So, yeah, early, early, early on. Yes. Yeah. First so, year. so we were like, but that's a really interesting subject. And you came up with this idea of, hey, let's talk about these three episodes. And it's a really cool little experiment we're about to try. So it's kind of like the Freddy's Nightmares thing. But but it's a good idea, you know. Come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Freddy's Nightmares thing is a good idea for the people who are listening to it because they can get an idea of what the show's like without actually having to suffer through the really bad episodes. And then the ones that you guys recommend, they can go in and check out and find like online wherever it may be. It's like you close your eyes. And it's kind of like you're there, people. See, it works out real well for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> I'll start the show here the same way we always start the show. I'll ask Court, what's he been watching lately? Um, been checking out and actually just totally binging since the wife got back the Terry Pratchett and uh, Neil Gaiman uh, Good Omens show that has David Tennant as Crowley and the guy, I can't remember his name, from Masters of Sex is the angel, which is, I can't pronounce it. I think it's as Azazel or as Azrael or something like that. And we're about five episodes in, we have the sixth episode left and we're only about 20 minutes in, um, to spoiler alert, I had to pause it to come do the recording, but no big deal. I'll be, it'll be there when I get back. And I am loving good omen. Good omens is amazing. I really dug that. Um, been falling asleep too. Now I already watched it, but season one of happy, I found that I like to watch that at night right before I go to sleep. I usually post when I watch that kind of stuff as Insomniac Theater. And the last two or three nights, um, I'd finish a movie and then just kick on a piece of happy until I fall asleep. 
and I love that show. It's so demented and twisted. I don't know if you've seen that. I've I've, I've heard about. It. I've heard great things. I've heard great things about this and uh, Deadly Class. Who were who are both canceled by Sci-Fi, and I hear they're I hear they're shopping around for for different outlets for them. So I hope I'm hoping for good things for Happy and Deadly Class, which I haven't Happy. watched. I haven't watched an episode of either, but, you know, I'm looking forward to checking it out eventually. Yeah, Happy, the first season is on Netflix, so it's real easy to get your hands on and check out. I highly recommend it. It is so demented and twisted. It's essentially like when I thought I was going to be a writer, whether it would be comic books or movies or anything like that, it's exactly the kind of entertainment that I would have loved to have written. Like, I would be so proud of making something like this because it's that sick and demented. He's and fun like, and like, silly. He's got like a little mojo hanging out with him, right? Tell him do things or this one plot of this. Uh, basically, he has a um, little bit of a spoiler alert, but not major because I think they show that in the trailers. He has a daughter. She has an imaginary friend. The unicorn that's annoying him is his daughter's imaginary friend. His daughter is in trouble and the imaginary friend comes to find him, Christopher Maloney's character. And so they work together to try and save the daughter and they get into a bunch of hijinks. Now, he's an imaginary friend. Everything about him is light and goodness and happiness. And Christopher Maloney's character is basically dying of like cancer and full of hate and piss and vinegar and just doing drugs and, you know, really just mean. But he has this amazing ability to kill people. Like, it just seems like if he sets his mind to hurt you, you're done. Like, he's just like, like super lucky like that. So they're butting heads constantly because one's all bright and sunshine and rainbows and the other one's all darkness and pissed off. Mm. And they kind of taint each other along the way with their friendship, trying to rescue the girl. And that's all I'm going to say. It's amazing. And just when you think it won't get any darker, it gets a little darker. Cool. I've been wanting to check it out, though, so I'm glad it's good. Yeah, I think this would do really well on streaming where they could really open it up and let them be as disgusting as possible. Because uh, Lucifer has never had higher numbers on Netflix, so it's it's the most bingeable bingeable show right now that they have on there that... People are watching a lot of yeah, Netflix would definitely be my best friend if it went ahead and just decided to go ahead and put happy on there as well. And just like keep producing it. Yeah. It's working out that way. So they did it with, um, what was it? Um, not just Lucifer. There was another show that somebody picked up. I think it was, the, um, keep for Sutherland presidential show, uh, designated oh, yeah. survivor. Somebody picked that show up. Yeah. You know, it's happening more and more, and uh, we're going to have to hope that something happens with the DC Universe's Swamp Thing, because I guess that got fucked over because of some kind of clerical error or something, and that's not going to come back now. I'll reveal my beef right now and say that that's that's some disorganized shit right there, and it upsets me because I really loved the first episode. And, you know, for now, we're not going to get any more episodes because of some... uh, Something about the tax... They get like $37 million for like a tax credit in North Carolina, I guess, to to make this show. And apparently funds got relocated to other places. And I guess like it is obviously a, a show that's expensive to produce because they said that Derek Muir's Swamp Thing suit was very expensive in itself, the, the prosthetics. And uh, God, I respect it so much. But, uh, yeah, that got all fucked up somehow due to some clerical error in North, in North Carolina somewhere. And uh, that's why the show got so fucked in the ass with this not um, not being able to be made anymore. I was like, yeah, that sucks. And, uh, yeah, I actually listened to the last episode of the 
the beef that was released where you guys were talking about China or not China O'Brien, but Cynthia Rothrock and uh, Wheels on Meals, and then the what was the something Freedom was the other one that Cynthia Rothrock was in. I can't remember. Yeah, it's uh, yes, Madam is the the title, but it has a, yeah. Police Assassins is another title. There's a couple titles to it. Yeah, but I was just listening to that episode, and I heard you talking about how much you love Swamp Thing. I was so excited, right? So excited. Yeah, and I was like, I was right there with you, and like right after that, I ended up clicking on something to like kind of look for my geek news, and I saw that it was already canceled in that same thing, so that's kind of my beef of the week, too. (laughs) I'm so pissed about this, because it didn't even get a chance. And they spent all this money on this amazing-looking suit, and is it just going to rot now? I mean, they got to use it for something. Fuck, do his little, like, hire Jim Wynorski and give us another, like, little low-budget fucking Swamp Thing movie or something, Man, you know? Amazing. Love it so much, Because <laughs> Return to Swamp Thing is, like, the best worst thing that ever happened to Swamp Thing. Because I absolutely love that movie, but it's so different from anything that actually is Swamp Thing. But that's what got me into Swamp Thing as a kid. It gave, it gave the respect, though, and I'll, I'll always love uh, Return to Swamp Thing for that reason. And uh, there's, enough, there's enough in there for you to love your Swamp Thing fan, I got a feeling. And, uh, oh, yeah. Totally. I'm lifelong Swamp Thing fan now. Actually, now that I think about it, I probably was watching the Wes Craven Swamp Thing on HBO. But the one that I remember really becoming obsessed with, like loving Swamp Thing was from Return of Swamp Thing. And then I started collecting the comics. And I'm talking like I was 10 or 11. And that's when Alan Moore was writing Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. And I should not have been reading those sagas of like the elementals and stuff with Alan Moore writing Swamp Thing. It was fucked up. It's one of the greatest Batman crossovers ever, which I'm going to talk about on my, my watches, but not this. There was a Swamp Thing Batman crossover. Um, was it? I think it was just a graphic novel, like a, like a one shot, and where basically the swamp takes over Gotham City and it's all mossy and shit because Swamp Thing is angry, so him and the bats have to go at it. It's pretty great if you've never read it before. I love me some Batman crossovers, so I might have to seek that out. Oh, there's some dumb, there's some great dumb ones of Batman versus the Predator. <laughs> I love those. I know that in retrospect, they're probably not that great, but I still love the Batman versus Predator crossover. It's a great, it's a great concept, man. Yeah, Dark Horse did some amazing stuff whenever they got crossover rights. They did some really cool, weird things. Yep. Man, oh man. Anything else, sir? I'm sorry, we didn't, we just got tangential there for a second. That's okay, though. Yeah, yeah no, it's all good stuff. As far as I'm concerned, um, you know, watching stuff as far as that goes, everything else is just kind of for the show. But for my own personal pleasure, I'm getting ready to actually start checking out the strain again. I've been getting the hankering to go back and watch that. Everybody gotta, who knows, gotta, knows I love that show. I got to finish it. I never finished it. So it's uh, I'll probably end up starting over again because I never finished it. <laughs> Well, I ended up actually getting the audiobooks, and I got to say, I love the TV show more than the audiobooks. The <laughs> audiobooks end up going in a religious direction, or uh, the book itself, I should say. I love the TV show more than the book. The TV show didn't go in the religious direction uh, as much as what the books do. The books basically make it like a fallen angel and all of this kind of stuff that becomes the vampires, and I just wasn't digging that, and I kind of checked out when I when that big reveal happened. But in the in the TV show, they don't really describe it that way. And they I like the ending of the TV show more. And I just felt like everything there was improved and kind of stretched out more. And they actually examine the characters more in the TV show than they do in the books, which is never something that seems to happen. So that's why I've kind of been hankering to watch it again, just to kind of check out and see 
if these are all just fond and fuzzy memories of the TV show or if it's actually true that they did expand on the book a little bit. Cool. Yeah, I enjoy the hell of a TV show. I just never really, I didn't finish it, like I said. It, nothing that wasn't interesting. I just, uh, I just never went back. I, I didn't finish Justified. I fucking love Justified, so. It's, uh, <laughs> I introduced that show to my father, and he now calls it the Raylan show because he fucking loves it. Like, he's so addicted on it. I think he's probably watched it the whole way through from first to last season, like, two or three times. Oh, the whole, the whole <laughs> cycle, man. I, I love I love Wall and Goggins and anything. You could put them in anything, you know. Ant Man versus Wasp was not very good, but he was great in it, you know. Oh yeah, he makes a great like tech thief villain. I really love those sequences. I mean, he, he was in drag and Sons of Anarchy, and I accepted that character. And they gave they wrote such a great arc, a great arc, great arc for that character. And, I thought that um, character was full fledged trans. I, I don't know what it was, but um. I think, pretty... I, think I, I think so. It's been so long since I watched it, but I, I bought Walton Goggins as a woman, and it, it, I, I really love that singer. character's arc. I love yeah. that character's arc because it be like he started off. Um, Walton Goggins started off as a uh, like a side character, and I can't remember her name of the character that that Angel. he is playing. Angel, Angel. Was, yeah. yeah, and Angel just started off as like a side character, and like they start up this obsession that Tig has with her. And then eventually you see that like her and Tig actually end up having a relationship and it's almost like Tig has finally found the one little piece of heaven that he's been looking for. And he's almost at peace by the end of the series, which is really cool. I really dug that idea. And they brought that arc in with Angel. Yeah. If you guys ever watched, I won't give it away, but there's a pretty tragic segment of that Angel arc. And like it involves Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> oh yeah, that I, broke my heart, dude. I, I hated. I, I told her, her like I was that. like, because she, she mentioned to me that people don't like the Billy character. Like, people love to people love to hate Billy, okay? So they love you for it. But I told the only character I never I, I, that you played that I never liked because it was so ugly was when you were on Sons of Anarchy, and she, you know, she agreed with me, and I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty special. But she was a deplorable character on Sons yeah. of Anarchy. I felt like crying when it was her. And I was like, no, not my Adrian Barbeau. Oh, man. Uh, all right, I'll mention a couple things that I've been watching. Um, I watched... Um, you, you there, Court? Yeah, I'm still with you. Yeah, I watched um, Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that doesn't sound like a, like a good concept, but if you, it, basically, Rachel Ghoul and Shredder get together and want to basically mutate the entire city of New York, or the city of Gotham, and uh, which is essentially, you know, well, Gotham is t- technically supposed to be Chicago, and Metropolis is New York City, but I digress. But <laughs> that's more like nerd things than anything else. Yeah. But they, they, they want a machine to basically mutate the, the whole city, and uh, of course, you know, the, t- the turtles come to Gotham City because the Shredder's involved, and... It's it's just a ton of fun because I don't know if you noticed like the the they really upped the the the, um, the production value as far as how they animate the sequences and since you have you know the turtles doing their 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 the ninjutsu versus the Batman's fighting style and there's just some great looking fights in this movie so if, if the plot doesn't do anything for you you get two fights in which the Shredder fights Batman. And they're just amazing to watch because you could tell they put a lot of care into the way that they were animated. And if there's anything, because there's, there's, some, there's some dumb stuff in here in which 
they break into Arkham and they mutate all of pretty much the entire rogues gallery into like their animal, you know, alter egos. And it's okay. It, it is the silliest part of the movie. I would kind of, of expect movie. that though. Yeah. I would kind of expect that though, because that's kind of the turtles way of doing it. And if you're going to have Batman villains be brought into this, of course you got to mutate them. I mean, I'm fine with that. It is the worst part of the movie, but that's not really saying much about it. I, I really, I really dug it as far as like a concept goes, and as far as the fighting scenes went, because they're they're just great to watch. It's funny in parts. Michelangelo just terrorizing Alfred, being silly. There's a lot. There's lots to love <laughs> in this movie, and I, I recommend anybody watch it. Um, there's yeah, I, I've been, I've been watching game shows on on Amazon Prime. I'm not gonna lie to you. They dropped the first two seasons of American Gladiators on there. Oh, I used to love that show as a kid, man. It's, it's like impossible to bootleg. So I was so happy when it came on there. Then you remember, like, the first season, like, they didn't have any money for production value. So all the, all the stuff was shit until the next season happens and everything's all amped up and, you know, cleaned up. And every, all, the, all the games are a little bit more, more uh, complex, you know, as far as the way they look. But, um... <laughs> Billy Worth, you know, the, the actor from The Lost Boys, shows up as a, as a contestant on there. Oh, that's awesome. And he, he was awesome on there because he, he was a stuntman, apparently, as well as an actor. So he's had incredible athletic ability. So I was kind of sad when he got eliminated, like, right towards the end of the first round. I was like, oh, not Billy Worth. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, they used to, like, they used to have just basically nothing where it was just, like, a padded room that they were throwing shit around at each other in. And then yeah. they end up with like those those big gaudy obstacle courses that just kept getting crazier and crazier. And it was just so much fun to watch these people have to take on these huge like stuntmen and like athletes. And wasn't like didn't the Hulkster even show up as like a guest? No, like, this this was like the later when they brought it back to NBC. This was uh, American Gladiators with um, I think it was Muhammad Ali's daughter and Hulk Hogan were the hosts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we st- I'm still looking at Nitro and 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 Malibu and his majestic hair on on the gladiators. <laughs> yeah, and those uh, weird wrestling onesies that they wear with like the day glow colors mixed with the blue and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. <laughs> it's all 1990 people, and I love it. You know, We're right down to the advertisements. Yeah, I used to love it too. So if you said it's on Prime, I might have to check that out. That it's, might become my new like fall asleep to this kind of show. It, it is on Prime. It is it is addictive. <laughs> like, like, like they have so many games. Like, they're the bringing back Press Your Luck. You know, God bless them. I, I used to love Press Your Luck, and uh, they're bringing it back to ABC. So I'm gonna, I'm have to sit and watch that. But they had that on there. For some reason, I fell balls deep into the match game from the '70s because you know Charles Nelson Riley is gonna say something cheeky eventually, and I'm waiting for it to happen. You know, and uh, I'm just waiting for stuff like that to happen on those '70s game shows. There was <laughs> there was a certain charm about those shows. And I didn't get to watch them because I wasn't alive in the 70s. But now that they're all accessible and shit, you watch them and it's, it's in the 70s just explodes all over those screens. And I, I love it. It's like it's funny. Uh, it's but, funny you mentioned Charles Nelson Riley because one of my favorite uh, Weird Al songs is the style parody he did of uh, the White Stripes with that song about Charles Nelson Riley. And yes. it's so badass. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, besides that, though, I didn't watch a whole lot more because, truth be told, this is the second episode I've recorded this week, so my what you've been watching list is pretty short. I'm trying to 
try to ramp that up. I think I'm going to go see Godzilla tomorrow with a friend. So I loved it. It was everything I wanted in a Godzilla movie. Nice. <laughs> I'm so happy with it. Like it's the kaiju movie that if I were writing a kaiju movie specifically for myself, it's how it turned out. You, and you, uh, you, you can't put four monsters in the movie and make it boring. I'm sorry. You just you know, <laughs> unless you really try to make it boring. Yeah, and they picked the right types. They made them all terrifying again and just amazing. And I got to say, I think Jerry Herring's the one who said uh, Michael Doherty is now three for three, and I totally agree. My favorite Christmas movie is now Krampus. I watch Trick or Treat around Halloween every year as well. And now Godzilla King of the Monsters is the best American-made Godzilla movie of all time. That's getting a new uh, toy, by the way. Sam from Trick or Treat's getting a new NECA figure. I, looks- yeah, I, I saw that. I'm I'm squirreling away some cash, and I'm going to probably pre-order it because I love that toy. I think it's amazing looking. Looks pretty great. We were we we were talking off mic before we started recording about the my ever-growing Godzilla collection of NECA. So <laughs> I, I'm totally going to probably get my hands on that, Sam. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's about it for for what I've been watching. Like I said, there ain't a whole lot more in there. I, mean, I, I should I should be watching more. But more of my, my random watching usually involves me like trying to find something to go to sleep to, and then insomnia kicks in, and next thing you know, I'm watching The Golden Child for for um for for an hour before I fall asleep. You know, yeah, and, and Duncan, I do that too. And Duncan, <laughs> if you're listening, you will say the man's full name. His name is Randall Tex Cobb. Okay, Let's just say his whole name. Okay, <laughs> does he just say Randall Cobb? He says Randall Cobb. Yeah, okay. uh, I, I no. kind of got upset on the inside just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Randall Tex Cobb, definitely. I mean, that man was a boxer. He's got the nose to prove it, and you got to say his full name. And from what I understand, a uh, impenetrable chin I heard in the boxing ring, you know. Well, you can tell by the shape of his nose that, yeah, he could take a punch or three or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Court mentioned, we're doing three TV shows, uh, uh, episodes. We're doing a thriller, we're doing a Twilight Zone, and an episode of The Monkeys People in which somebody sells their soul to the devil to get something in return, which, you know, is, is could be mediocre to some, or, you know, maybe really profitable to, to others. Um, what do we start with first? I think we're going to start with The Twilight Zone first, because I think out of all these episodes, it's my least favorite one. Oh, wow. And, and that's, okay. that's, that's my, uh, that's, that's not, that's not really saying these are bad. As out of the three, this is, this is what I feel is the weakest one. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna take a break right now. We're we're gonna go right into it. That's uh from season four where you had your hour long ones. Um, well probably like forty eight minute ones, whatever they are. Uh, yeah, I hour, think this one was like fifty two minutes in total. Yeah, that's pretty long for for uh Twilight have, Zone. Not many yeah. not many commercials, I guess. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's called Printer's Devil. Uh, it's episode nine of the fourth season. Um. It stars the great Burgess Meredith. It's one, it's one of the Burgess Meredith, episode, Burgess Meredith episodes, uh, written by Charles Beaumont. Um, it basically plot synopsis is a guy has a has a rundown newspaper that's been been basically put out of commission almost by the by a big paper, and uh, he meets he happenstance to meet a guy on the side of the road, played by uh, Burgess Meredith, who, who uh, gives him um, an option to, to to say you know what I, I I'll, I'll be your new I think um his the the printer what's the the, the the machine called that he's working with? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It print type or type print or yeah. something like that. The or guy, the guy that ran that machine basically quit on him. He he, miraculously knows how to use this machine, 
And wouldn't you know it, he has the ability to report news before it happens or just after it happens. So does he cause things to happen? You really don't know throughout this episode. Basically, Burgess Meredith is the devil. It's revealed. And uh, he's makes them into a powerhouse paper <clears throat> to the point of eliminating the competition. But I'm going to ask uh, Court what he thought of this Printer's Devil episode. I actually really enjoyed this episode, and I had a flashback to watching it as a kid back when sci-fi was still sci-fi, and it wasn't called Siffy or spelled that way. Um, I don't know if they still do this or not, but this was like my junior, senior years of high school, all the way back to, I think, like middle school. Sci-fi used to do marathons of the Twilight Zone on holidays, so it would be... Like Memorial Day or whatever. I'm and not like sure if it's as Fourth often of as they once did it, but yeah, they they still have them. It used to be pretty much if there was a four day or a three day weekend or something like that because of a holiday where a Monday was off, or whether or not it was like if it was like a middle of the week holiday, like a Fourth of July was on a Wednesday, you knew you were getting 24 hours of Twilight Zone episodes. And once they actually did a dueling thing where it was like an episode of Outer Limits, an episode of Twilight Zone. And they started doing these things sort of like back to back. Well, this is one of the episodes I caught during one of those marathons as a kid. And it was like, I don't know if they were doing like a Burgess Meredith theme thing because it was this one and that famous one with there's still time. That's not fair. It was all the time in the world where he loses his glasses. Yeah. And because he shows up a lot on uh, Twilight Zone and there was a couple of different episodes. And yeah, I the, remember the, the last was my favorite episode of all time, which is the obsolete man. It's, it's probably my favorite Twilight Zone if not top three of all time, just, just, just if you never watch it more, just the dialogue between him and Fritz Weaver is, is worth the price of mission alone. Uh, and I just, I remember seeing this with that particular episode and um, like, I actually did see this back then. And I remember not really being that into it or really caring that much about it. Like kind of like how you've had the response to it where of the three we watched tonight, this is your least favorite. And I can see where it feels over long and everything like that. But I actually really enjoyed it, and I liked the idea of the way the devil was going about enticing him, but at the same time was destroying everything the man cared about him around him, like his whole entire town, just to try and entice him and get him to see that he could have the power if he just made the deal. But this was a weird one because he didn't actually make the deal up front. The devil did a bunch of good stuff or did a bunch of stuff for him, kind of, for lack of a better term, but in good faith expecting him to pay up and that he could collect. And he pretty much was like, look, you do this or I'm going to take the soul of the woman, you know, or, or whatever. And I guess this typesetting machine that he uses, he had it modified, magically speaking, so that anything that was written on it would become true. Well, well and, at least he said, like, right when he sat down to do it, to, to start working on the thing, which he's like, he's like a master on this keyboard thing, that he needed to make a couple of modifications to it. Right, but the fact that his own magic gets used against him for him to be defeated, that was one of the things that I had the biggest issue with. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, that irony is just being shoved down our throats. You know what I mean? Like, they could have done something a little bit different or found another way for the guy to weasel out. And I think if we're going to be rating things or just kind of describing these episodes based on how good the Faustian deal and how well someone got out of it kind of thing goes... I'm going to have to say that this one probably is the least well done Faustian deal stuff. It just feels like a lot of it was like they wanted the guy to actually win and be a good guy. It's like 
one half, this is your life <laughs> or this like, you know, the what a wonderful life kind of deal. It's like one half, what a wonderful life or it's a wonderful life. And then like one half, the Daniel, like the devil and Daniel Webster. Mm hmm. And it just doesn't really meet up and it's not quite even. So I can totally see where you didn't enjoy this one. I actually, this one would be probably the second of the three that I like the, the most. So it's like in between the other two. And I'm really shocked at the one I enjoyed the most. No, no, you, you know what? He, the, way, the way this thing works is that this, this machine that can, can make the news. It, can it predict the news or can it make the news? This, 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 this modified, uh, Type press thing that he that he he created the the devil you know British Meredith. He specifically episode. says at the end that whatever you type on it will become true. So it makes reality happen whenever you write a story on it's, that. It's such an afterthought. That story this is my, true. My biggest issue is such, it's such an afterthought is that it happens to pop up at the end where he says this. But you know, does he want him to fuck up his deal because he kind of leaves this this magical type machine unattended? You know. While he's like driving maniacally with his girlfriend in the car. Yeah, and why wouldn't you have that destroyed? The guy just gives it up at the end of the episode, so he's not tempted by it. You should have that dismantled, dude. You make sure that goes <laughs> to the scrapyard now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, something. Jesus Christ. Now some other schmuck's gonna get a hold of it and just start typing away and start like destroying the world at, at his will. You know. Yeah, it's... yeah, he's gonna perpetrate the world with evil. That's what that's what Sutter Kane's first book was pro published on. That's probably what did it. Oh yeah, it has to be, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, lo I learned there is a lot to love about this episode. That I love Burgess Meredith's like it, it's kind of started hard to say his look because he looks the same when he's looking crazy in most anything. Whether you're watching him as Mickey and Rocky or anything, except this time he's just like this little old man who may have good intentions at first, like, here's the money to, to pay your, your bills. And by the way, I, I'm going to sit here and make some some, some ma magical shit happen on this type thing. And, and all the while, smoking that crooked cigar, and you can't get a good drag off of that thing. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> it's just a crooked cigar. And, uh, that, that, it was a character thing, just to yeah. kind of show, like, you know, that he warps and distorts everything he touches or something like that, you know? Yeah, I get it. I'm just saying. He, he can't get a good drag off that fucking thing. <laughs> no, the logistics of that cigar do not work. I totally agree with you, sir. <laughs> it's not like the cross joint in, in Pineapple Express, where the, <laughs> the, the physics of that does work. But, yeah, you know, this this does not work. But um, that's a real biter, bitch. Like I said, it just... It's just tele. It's 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 too telegraphed for me this episode, because you know you know he's up to some shit from like Jump Street almost, and then by the way, twenty minutes in, here's the contract for your soul. Blah 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 blah. And by the way, you know I'll, I'll fuck up this, yeah, because you're the devil. We get that you're the devil, and you can fucking fuck shit up. <laughs> we we get it, okay. You just you're just not that mischievous when you say you know what at the end of the episode I'm just gonna take your girl drive away and leave my magical machine unattended. Wait a fucking second here, you know. Whereas, <laughs> whereas in the thriller episode it goes way differently, and I, I appreciate that. It's it's a real uh, we'll get into that, but um, it's just it's just really telegraphed, and I think for for a while there since this is one of those hour long Twilight Zones, it's one of the better ones. There's about ten out of season four that I genuinely enjoy. This one, um, 
the one where Dennis Hopper is a neo-Nazi, he's alive. That's a really good one. Uh, the new exhibit that's about like a wax machine, a wax museum that comes to life. There's like a Jack the Ripper there and stuff. That's a really good one. But you know what? I think they're really pushing for this this format, and it's not as bad as Friday's Nightmares people. But you know what? I just think they're really reaching for some stuff in this episode. That's probably what makes it my least favorite of the three. And uh, yeah, but I'll ask you, Court, anything else you want to say about Predator's Devil before we move on? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed Burgess Meredith's portrayal of the devil. I just wish he would have gotten a better, you know, a better kind of deal for what he was doing, a better script behind him, you know? He's, he's like a sleepy fouse. He's, 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 he's kind of a tired devil, and, you know, he just forgets that the, the devil's in the details, really. You know, <laughs> he forgot those details, man. <laughs> it, 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 it kind of bothers me a little bit in this episode, and... That's uh, that's really it for me, man. But l- let's let's rate him for fun, I guess. What do you give it one to ten, Court? I would give this probably about a six, as far as Twilight Zone episodes go. It's a little bit above middle of the road because there are, as much as we have complaints about this one, there are much worse Twilight Zone episodes oh, than this. Totally, and there are much better. But it's like just above, like just okay. So that's why I'm going to say six. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you with that six. It's, it's better than middle of the road. You get Burgess Meredith, so that's not bad, you know. And um, it's just like I said, no, no real, no real peril here. And um, even when the girl is gonna like die at a car wreck, there's really no real peril there either. Because no, I didn't feel any dread for any of these people at any time. It was a little for a Twilight Zone episode. It was too upbeat and too fun, and it felt more like the out outer limits kind of shows that you would get sometimes that were goofy, mm-hmm. you know. Where all oh, turns out the guy behind the counter the entire time was an alien and the other dude that was planning an invasion got beat to the chase you know that kind of like dun, 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 humor thing and that's just not twilight zone it, I, twilight zone was always darker for me it, it wrapped up way too clean like i mentioned and i think that if it was a little bit darker in the end maybe if the girl had died i think this would go up to a seven that sounds really morbid but he he doesn't learn anything for from, you know, fucking with the devil and tempting fate here. And I think if the girl died, I, I think I would give this a seven rather than a six just to give it an extra point. Just to say, you know what, that there was some real peril and, you know, he, he paid. And that's almost every Twilight Zone. You, somebody does something that's either selfish or whatever, and they pay some kind of price for it. There's a morality tale in there and there is no morality in this one. Just yeah. the fact that he made a deal with the devil and he got away with it. That's that's it, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. Oh man. But uh next up we're gonna the the meat the meat of this show. Uh <laughs> is that we're gonna do a monkeys episode. Uh that's surrounded around Peter and a harp called The Devil and Peter Torque. Right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Peter? Who's that? Is that uh, that Zero guy? Yes, yeah, Smokey the Bear. Well, Peter, are you pleased? I like the music, Mr. Zero. When I play the harp, it makes people happy. Of course. The money is unimportant, eh? Now, there's one piece of unfinished business yet to discuss. The contract. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, the hitch, right? Had to be a hitch. Ah! Excuse me. What was this? Says, Peter, Peter, this is a contract with the devil. I'm so glad I don't have to introduce myself. It says you sold your soul. I don't believe in devils. Precisely why your soul is so interesting. Innocence is at a premium. Come on, man, you're putting us on. He's a, he's a devil. He really is a devil. Devil or not, he's a rotten house guest. Uh, the Monkeys episode, known as The Devil and Peter Tork, premiered on February 5th, 1968. It's a season two episode. This is a series that I love. Basically, your, your real cheap plot synopsis is <clears throat> that Peter goes into a pawn shop uh, owned by Mr. Zero, who is a Beelzebub. Uh, he makes that appear pretty fast. And buys a harp. And, and of course, signs a contract. He can play this harp real good. And they already have stardom, so who cares? But they add harp to the monkey's music, and it sounds really strange. But uh, <laughs> Peter just loves the harp. He wants to play the harp real pretty. And he sells his, to sell his devil to, to the devil uh, because of this. And of course, you know, when it's time to pay the fiddler, literally, they go, they go on trial to, to save Peter's soul in a hilarious way. And uh, I'm going to kick at the court again and ask him what he thought of the devil and Peter Torque. I absolutely love this episode. And this is the one that I was shocked at how much I ended up enjoying it. I enjoyed this more than the other two. This is my number one spot. And I was actually shocked how much I liked it. It's it brought back a bunch of memories because I have not watched a single monkeys episode since I was a kid. And I used to watch their reruns all the time. And this was one that I never caught. I don't remember this ever being broadcast on regular TV and for obvious reasons. And then also I got the realization, holy crap, these shows are super subversive. This is crazy subversive what they're doing here. <laughs> and I ended up really, really loving this episode. There's so many cool things. The vision of hell that they have where it's like this like hippie loving dancing thing, but it still terrifies the innocent and sweet monkeys. It's great. It's not bad. You got sexy devil chicks with pitchforks running around there. It doesn't seem like a bad gig to me, you know? Yeah, I can't see that being necessarily a problem. I don't understand why they were so terrified, but they were. <laughs> but I also really dug the way that they ended up going into the trial and stuff like that to, you know, show Peter Tork's soul. And really, 
he didn't really sell it. He was tricked into it. He thought he was just buying the harp and that it was a pay later agreement. And the devil just basically pulled the full devil thing. And I don't think soul contracts can really work quite that way, but it's a real needful thing situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't get what they were getting after with that. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just ended up being, you know, just something that, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by. It's a quick 25 minutes. It was super entertaining. And I'll just totally say this is kind of like not my final thoughts, but just my final thing for this go around. It made me want to go back and check out a bunch of other monkeys episodes because of how much fun I had watching it. Well, what sucks about getting a hold of those monkeys episodes is that they're they're highly out of print, and that Rhino Records owns them, so they just fucking suck for not re-releasing something that doesn't cost like I think like a couple of years back they had a set where you can get like. I like 10 LPs, some CDs, and the whole series for like a ridiculous amount of money. Just, just, just put it out for people to buy. Just, just the series at a decent price. And I went after resort to YouTube where most of these episodes are on. So I'm going to direct you guys to YouTube to watch these episodes because I really enjoyed The Devil and Peter Tork as well, as, as well as the series. And, um, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's a fun spin on this whole Faustian tale. <laughs> In which you get poor, hapless Peter, you know, ma- ma- not even making this deal. He's like, all of a sudden, hey, I got a harp and I can play it real good. And all of a sudden they implement it into the band and it's really weird. And then all of a sudden it's time to pay up. And it, there's all this great comedy bits in there. And I, I I really love it, man, to death. Especially Mickey breaking the fourth wall constantly, which really works in this episode. Because they there's a point in the episode where they, they they have to say the word hell, but it's bleeped out by the censors, and Mickey just stares at the yeah because you can't say hell on television. Like there's certain stuff that's written so well in this episode that uh, the the musical uh, middle section, which is a Mike Nesbitt song, I, I'll, I'll give him that, but I never really enjoy those all that much. But he it's there, it's a fun song, it's a fun, it almost reminds you like. Something of Scooby-Doo proportions. The Devil's Lair with his sexy devil girls, you know, tempting the boys, I guess, because all of a sudden they're in devil costumes, and it's really fun. And, yeah, it's it's just... Man, the trial is really silly, to where he, he brings, like, Billy the Kid on, on the stand, saying, I remember I told you to make the most notorious outlaw ever. I make that promise, like, yeah. And then until the Hun comes, and he's... I don't even know if he's Asian or not. I couldn't tell you. I don't fucking care. I'm having too much fun with this episode. <laughs> and of course, you know, they, they, you know, have to do the whole thing to where he doesn't get taken to hell by saying that, you know what? He just wanted to play the harp a lot. So yeah, you're kind of full of shit, Mr. Zero. So they need, they need more episodes, obviously. So Peter's not going to go to hell. So that's not really a big spoiler, people. Just throwing it out there because... There's lots of monkeys episodes to enjoy, and I'm sorry the dog keeps opening and closing the door like a giant asshole. But you know, <laughs> how you doing, Buster? You big fucker, you. You know, like a fucking muscular bastard. But no, this this is just 25 minutes of pure joy, and I'm glad we're talking about it. And uh, like like Court said, I, I want to watch more monkeys episodes because I I watched them the same way he did, probably on MTV or Nickelodeon when they would air when they re-aired, and uh. Just, um, 
it's just, the look is just a pure good. And if you ever see Mickey Dolan's at a convention, I, I recommend going to that table just to say hello. And he's just a joyous fellow to hang around. And, um, yeah, I, I had a great time watching this and I'm, I'm looking forward to more. More monkeys episodes, please. I'm I'm gonna scour YouTube and watch a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but, this uh, was definitely a ton of fun, and just kind of a quick final thoughts thing on this. Um, the thing that I loved about this episode is it completely reminded me of a British show that I'm obsessed with now, and I can see the influence that this show had to have on the two that created, and that's the Mighty Bush. Yeah. This this so very much you could have just pulled the guys from the monkeys out of this and then put. Howard and Vince in there and it would have so felt like a mighty Bush episode because it was just as bit like breaking the fourth wall, being ridiculous, silly and fun. And I was like, holy shit, the monkeys did this kind of stuff. And I didn't remember any of it being like this from when I watched it as a kid. And that's what totally suckered me in. It was like, I got to see more. Well, you know, much like the monkeys, I'm sure the mighty Bush was uh, built and, and laid on marijuana and probably other recreational drugs. And because uh, oh, definitely. Tell- yeah. <laughs> they were doing that shit back in those days, and I just love the '60s style of this show. You, you watch this, you watch Batman '66. It's so colorful, and they they really made use of, of you know basically new technology. This this color color TV stuff, and and I I really appreciate you know the the fun hijinks. So the, these are four guys you want to hang out with doing silly shit, and. That's what I always loved about the monkeys is that it was written in a way to say, I want to spend 25 minutes with these jackasses. Are they jackasses? Sure. But I want to spend 25 minutes with these jackasses. And this episode is no exception. This is one of my standout episodes that I remember a lot because they, this is one they aired a lot. And, uh, I, 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 I dig it, man. I'm glad it's part of this show and I'm uh, glad you dug it as well. But what do you give a one to 10, sir? Um, I can't say that, I loved it as much as I did and not give it a solid eight and a half. I mean, it's not the greatest TV I've ever seen in my life, so I'm not going to go up to like nine and ten. But as far as sparking a new interest in the monkeys, this totally did it. But I would be lying if I said that it didn't just make me want to go and watch the Mighty Bush immediately after I finished it, which I kind of did. Nice. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I think I would probably watch a monkeys episode or two when I could come across it if they ever put out a collection I will get it probably like digitally or what have you, but I'm not going to go out of my way and go obsessively to collect them. But I definitely, if somebody had them and wanted to watch them, I'd be like, yes, let's do this. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's at least, at least an eight. Um, probably go, go up there. If I, maybe I had some, some weed myself, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just enjoy the monkeys all that much more people, you know? Well, it's, uh, it's legal now in that state. So I think you're yeah. set up. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see if the, they're chopping at the bit to see how much they can tax it. So we'll see uh, how much weed will be flowing in the state of Illinois and who's going to get a piece of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Chicago politics aside, um, we're going to move on to our next one. I don't think we're going to take a break from this one because I, I think we're just going to go right into it. Works it's for a, me. Yeah, it's a thriller episode, which if you guys don't know what thriller is, just stick in the Twilight Zone if it was hosted by Boris Karloff. I think it had a lot of the same writers because this one, this episode, which is called The Devil's Ticket, is written by Robert Block, which is based on his, his short story. And uh, basic plot synopsis is this, that basically uh, a, a pawn shop owner is, is soul is taken away by the devil. 
and he he takes up residence in a shop to where this downtrodden artist comes in there and tries to sell his painting. But um, instead of selling his painting, he of course gives him the power to for him to have fame and fortune as an artist and sell a whole bunch of paintings, become rich and famous. In the exchange, within 90 days, that's the length of the pawn ticket, he'd have to give up his soul to the devil unless he painted a portrait of someone else, kind of a real Dorian Gray situation in a way, if you think about it, of someone uh, who he'd give up in exchange. And this changes throughout the episode, of course. But, um, court again, sir, there's only two of us. What'd you think of the devil's ticket, sir? Well, as we were discussing, um, if people kind of stack it up, I said the middle one was the Twilight Zone. The Monkeys is now my favorite, and it's it's fitting that we did of the three, but the Monkeys is my favorite, and it's fitting that we're doing this one third because I enjoyed this one the least. Now, I will say that this is definitely better written than the Twilight Zone episode, um, and I definitely liked the flip-flopping stuff of the character where he's succumbing to temptation, then feeling guilty about it, um, allowing himself to indulge with his newfound fortune and fame, then feeling guilty about it, where he's going back and forth trying to decide who he's going to damn to eternal damnation and then he can have a happy life with. And it's like, you never really know, is he actually in love with his wife or this new mistress woman? You know, like, who's he going to paint? Who's he going to give up? Yeah. Um, how's this going to end up being? And the guy just totally undercuts himself with every decision that he makes. And that's the part I found the most frustrating. I yeah, full, wanted him to lean into it. Yeah, full disclosure, the, eventually they're, they're all deplorable characters in this episode. Yeah, everybody, and I everybody love, is. I love that part of it. I love that his fame and his fortune was destroying everyone around him because that's totally a Faustian deal. I was cool with that. But he never fully leans into it. Like, he never just fully decides, you know, I'll give you one soul here and what I really wanted, the, the ending that I really wanted and the thing that made this the least favorite for me is I wanted him to fulfill his deal, but I wanted him to paint the wife again after that dis that painting was destroyed, but then also paint the mistress and then basically make it a deal where he paints one of these paintings like every how often to really be like a portrait of Dorian Gray where he can continue to live on and have this excess and all of this stuff. And all he has to do is just sacrifice one person for every, you know, amount of time. So instead of the painting getting all of the damage and everything, he's basically all of his damnation that he's been earning for this time that he's around. He trades another soul because he captures it in a painting. And that would have been so dark and so twisted. And it felt like they were going to go there. Like they kept cock teasing it, but they never leaned into it. And that's the thing I found the most disappointing and the reason why I was so down on this one. Yeah, I, I, I dug this one probably this is my I, I take that back this is my second favorite of the three The Monkeys is my number one because it's just so fucking fun yeah. and it's it's so it's, it's so concise in storytelling but this one you know you had this guy who's who's bitter you know at the beginning because he can't sell any paintings they're broke as shit so he's gonna go sell what he calls a thousand dollar painting which is just a painting of a pair of shoes which if you I hear from the short story that it was it was a portrait and that would have played more more into the to the ending of, of this episode if, if he tried to sell a portrait to the devil himself right. you know, rather than this 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 painting of some shoes and you, you know what he, he gets this going on he he becomes with incredible riches I don't know sure if she, I'm not sure if he had the mistress before he had the riches I could not tell you 
I would say but, no, because mistresses usually come with riches. I don't think you get them any way or other than that. Yeah. <laughs> so then he he's still kind of like, you know, meek until, you know, he does get with the mistress. And then the wife, who was once meek, is now, uh, you know, now that she has money, she's kind of hoity-toity and kind of bitchy. Yeah. B- bitching about his coat, which comes in to later, play play way later. It's, it's, it's the last three minutes of this episode. The coat comes into play. Because she's always bitching about this ratty coat that he chooses to keep. And, you know, <laughs> and so she's deplorable then. And then he becomes deplorable with the mistress. So you, you, you don't really feel sorry for anybody in this episode. Especially in the end where he's forced to paint this portrait of his wife. Because he's going to sacrifice his wife to fuck the mistress by painting this gorgeous portrait of her to, to give it to the devil to take her soul. And then, of course, the mistress gets jealous and she destroys it and blah, 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 blah. So he gets the idea he's going to pull one over on the devil. And, you know, I, this, I love the narrative of this one way more than Twilight Zone because it's, it's more concise than, you know what? I have a genuine plan trying to fuck over the devil, you know, and... Yeah, he his did. plan is his plan is better. I just wanted them to lean in more. <laughs> yeah, and then he, 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 in the end, I, I mentioned the coat. That the point of the and it goes if you ever, if you ever buy anything from a pawn shop or pawned anything in a pawn shop, you're required to have that ticket. It's nothing new, but he was required to have the ticket to get his immortal soul back. And guess what? It was in that ratty coat that the wife burned in the fire. And you know what? It, it, it's again. Can't trust bitches, man. This woman is no exception. She's, I, I, I'm obsessed over shoes. If I have a pair of shoes that I feel can, I can get one, like three more months out of, if somebody throws them in the garbage, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> this was a good coat. They, they happened to have the ticket to his internal damnation in it, and she burned it in the fire. And you know what? I was so fucking happy this happened because he he was so deplorable, you know, he didn't learn anything from the situation. He's like, well, guess what? I got one over the devil. Like, wait a fucking second. No, you don't. It's a real drag me to hell ending. Because I feel in drag me to hell, uh, the girl really didn't learn anything from, from, you know, her actions. She was a real, she was nice at first, but she became more and more heinous as the movie went on. And this guy became more and more heinous as this episode went on. So the fact that he, he was forced to go to hell anyway made this a much more satisfying ending to this episode. And uh, I didn't mention anything, but uh, Thriller is, is hosted by Boris Karloff, and I think he does it with just as a, um, as much swagger as uh, as old Rod Serling, I think. And I think this show had three seasons, I think. It feels like a precursor to Night Gallery because he goes, especially this episode, because he's going and talking in front of paintings of people. And he introduces you to the characters and says about their journey that's about to happen. Yeah. And is, I, it, I, I agree, his swagger on this and the way that he kind of just owns the sequences, it almost overshadowed the rest of the show for me. Almost. I mean, it's Karloff, though, man. You, you gotta love him. And I, I, I liked the way this episode was shot. You know, I, I love the way that, you know, it, it, it didn't leave a whole lot to the imagination to say, you know what, yeah, yeah, this, this is the guy that's gonna take your soul. And I, I just... I just love the, the deterioration of the characters in this one and that people got their due, unlike in that, that hokey ending of the, to the Printer's Devil. So if I had to pick one over the other, I'd pick this over Printer's Devil like any day of the week. And yeah, I could totally see that. I think that it felt to me like the irony ending that they ended up forcing where the wife burned the coat that 
she's been complaining about all along. That was the part that I really didn't like, you know, <laughs> I just was really not into that idea. And that's when I was like, Ooh, what if he starts painting portraits, you know, until he can get, since he can't get the ticket, he just basically keeps painting portraits and just keeps oh, doing the, like the, the devil's work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where like he keeps capturing souls that the devil couldn't get otherwise. And that's the only thing that's keeping him out of hell is that he's trading these other people and you that's, know it's that's that's how the twilight zone would have ended if this was a twilight zone episode <laughs> probably because yeah there was that one episode in which uh a game of pool in which jack klugman has to play jonathan winters in a pool match that's one of my favorites i love that yeah it really is good but it ends with jack klugman's character being dead and in, in, in basically being in billiard room heaven or is it because he's basically playing by himself and you know it's it's really it's really strange kind of bittersweet ending to that one yeah much like much like any episode with chad klugman in the twilight zone yeah you, you, you want to make a, a grown man weep let, let him watch in praise of pip where, where he's talking to his dead son you know that's uh that, that'll that'll make a grown man weep no problem whether oh, we want yeah. to admit to it whether we want to admit to it or not but uh <laughs> <laughs> niagara falls frankie niagara falls niagara falls <laughs> <laughs> that's five pounds of veal <laughs> i was touched by the gift yeah Go get a job if you want to choo-choo. <laughs> oh, Brian Doyle Murray, you know, you were yeah. the father I thought I never needed. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> he's not the father that you needed, but he's the father we deserved. Yes, indeed. You know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, these are a lot of fun to talk about. And um, we're going to come back right after this and close out the show. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday the 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror, and we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's going to be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. Well, uh, wraps up this one. I thought yeah, I thought it was a great success. I wish Suzanne could, could have been here, but um, her husband, uh, truth be told, got in a car accident in which he's not injured, so just his his, his truck is injured, so that, that's, 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 a, that's a blessing. But, um... So best best of luck to to Pat, her husband, and uh, his his hopefully not impending injuries. Much love, sir. <laughs> yeah, fast healing if there are any injuries, and hopefully there aren't any. But with a car crash, you just never know. Sometimes it takes a day or two for certain things to show up after the adrenaline finally wears off. But he's fine. Uh, Suzanne's Freddie, of course, like a New Jersey housewife or something. She she she's okay though, and uh, <laughs> she 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 worries a lot. Let's put it that way. You know, white people problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you, Court, for, for, for coming on, man, and uh, doing these with me. I, I thought it was a great idea. And uh, Yeah, we'll, we should we'll, do this again. Just grab, like, three different TV shows with a similar theme from a wide array of TV, whether they're anthology or something like that. You know, I think we yeah. could do it again with a theme and just have a little fun with it. 
We'll get some research going on. We'll find something good, man, for sure. Yeah, this I feel it was very successful. The common theme works, even though they're more obscure TV shows. And maybe we'll get people checking out some stuff like The Monkees and uh, Thriller again. And I hope people know The Twilight Zone. But if not, maybe they'll check that out. Yeah. Like I said, The Monkees and Thriller, I think most of the episodes are uploaded to YouTube. So you guys can check them out there with pretty clear prints. I watched The Monkees on my, my 50-inch you know, 4K TV. And they were pretty clear for for what what there was worth so go uh go check them out same thing with thriller it's a uh, it's good times yeah but, um, the youtube's the youtube copies of both of those were really excellent court uh tell the folks what you got coming up you got a pretty big milestone coming up i know yeah as of this recording we are just a few days away before matt and i record our 200th episode of cinema psyops that is the start of the full franchise fest that will close out our year and that'll be four years straight of weekly podcasts without missing a week we may have been late a day or two every now and then here and there for a week or something because of an emergency popping up or just something that was out of our control but we had an episode released every week regardless for the last four years that's how we got to 200 and that's how we're going to close out our fourth year at like what 208 episodes yeah. <laughs> and you know some of those we really had to kind of stretch i did some music episodes one of the episodes uh that was like shortly before you and i started recording for cinema beef together for my first appearance mm-hmm. the plumbing in my house went kaput and got all yep. backed up and i ended up having to drive to matt's house and record there with like a makeshift setup um that week and we ended up just doing an episode where we went over all the other episodes before it <laughs> and then this i is busted the recap my... episode yeah. yeah and then i busted my ass to get the studio put back together so that once the once all the carpet and everything was back down where the studio goes i could get it all put back into place and i was exhausted and yet i still was able to get an episode out that week after putting the studio back together <laughs> again so yeah um, it's been a lot of fun these last four years and I'm really looking forward to celebrating it. And I'm not sure when this episode's going to be released, but we're looking at the week of June 16th. I think that's Sunday. The first in the full franchise festival will be released and that's going to be the Romero dead film. I'm All... looking for, for, uh, the Wednesday, Wednesday after the Thursday recording right now. So that's what's okay. going to be out. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much when this is released, that episode will be out pretty much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, aren't you fancy for putting a show out every week, man? I'm so proud of you. No, I really am, seriously, you know. Well, it's, I, it's Bill Fulkerson, or Bill by Force as he goes by, on yeah. Outside the Cinema that really was a huge influence on me doing that. It was something that they've been doing now for over 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. No matter how he got an episode out, he would put an episode out. Uh, he would always have content for you to download every week for 11 years. Bill, and Fulk- Bill Fulkerson is swinging dicky. We've, we've met before. Trust me. I, he's, <laughs> he's a nice fella. You know? Yeah. I've been talking off and on with Bill, Bill for a long time. And he was one of the biggest boosters whenever I got started doing this. He was stoked just to be able to help out. And uh, so, yeah, I got to always give him props. I mean, 11 years straight. No one's going to touch that record of not missing a week because everybody has missed at least a week except for Bill so far for 11 years i don't know anybody else that's gone even close to that and if somebody else knows cinema at gmail.com you tell me that podcaster that was able to do that 
Me and Bill have something in common, but we both chew food on the air on occasion because, you know, it's a... Well, yeah, they have a segment that they do that where uh, they have like those uh, those uh, universal yums boxes oh, or something yeah. like that. And it was like, just fucking snapping away and whatever the fuck he's eating. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> somebody, somebody would yell at me over this, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> it's like, why this fat fuck eating on the air? I, I can't figure it out. But Bill does it. People love it. So it's because he makes it obvious and it's kind of charming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, that that's great, man. I'm I'm proud, of it. I still gotta make my message. I'll, I'll try to make it nasty for Matt, just 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 to make it fun, you know. Uh, I'll get that done for tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, yeah, well, you still um, got time. Um, it's actually as of now, this recording, we're doing it Thursday the sixth. Um, you know, you got like four days, and I'll actually even stretch it to if you get it to me like by Monday mor or Tuesday morning, you're fine. Gotcha. Cool. So we're good. Yeah, that, that that's a uh, yeah. This this show. Um, two different commentaries, which is going through some changes um, as far as the lineup goes. Those can both be found at legionpodcast.com uh, where you can find all all the great shows that Jerry Herring mentioned during, during the uh, our <laughs> last break. And um, yeah, Legion Patreon, very important stuff. Go check that out. Rate and review all the great shows on Legion and all your favorite shows too. It, it, all, it all helps people if you rate and review them on... Uh, Apple Music, iTunes is no more people, they say. And uh, Apple Music is, is the way to go, the best way to get people's uh, boosted up and, and people can see the episodes more, whatever. I'm just glad you guys are listening. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Don't, don't, get, don't get a switching. Um, <laughs> I get sentimental, but I'm glad people are listening to the show. I'm not saying that I wouldn't do the show otherwise. It's just I'm glad. <laughs> I'm grateful you're listening. Well, you put a lot of work into it, and it's always great whenever somebody appreciates the work that you do, and you get a little feedback for it. That's what makes it worthwhile. I don't put work in like you put in work for it. It's, <laughs> it's 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 really cutting and pasting. That's the cinema beef, uh, <laughs> cinema beef editing swagger, you know. Yeah, well, I got OCD like a mofo, so I will go through and listen to the show several times and edit it. But I've gotten my edit time down considerably and i've actually turned it into a real serious process because even the way that i do things gets obsessively done until i get a process for it so you know that's one of the reasons why i've been able to maintain the schedule for cinema psyops that i have hey is... i got i got three words for that court okay you ready for them uh-huh good for you <laughs> oh good for you yeah, exactly i didn't say it like that though you know but uh... <laughs> I could have went, well, could have went full Christian Bale on that one, but I'm not angry with you, okay? I'm not angry with you at all. But um, yeah, Fleas and Flicks. I know it's a long ways away, but it's happening. It, it's happening in a major way because I got some some sexy in the mail that I mentioned uh, last episode. So look for that and some other goodies that I, I have coming as well. Not to mention all the shows I'll be going into this summer. I'm, I'm trying to make a trying to make it big this year. So. Go go tell some friends and uh, help benefit the South Suburban Humane Society, and hopefully you'll win some good. And uh, I'll send it to you, and you could uh, adorn it in your rumpus room if you have one of those. People still have rumpus rooms, Court? I don't know. Do they? Really? I think they call them man caves or she sheds now, but it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, she sheds sounds so disgusting. If I think about it, you know, if I get real <laughs> perverted about it, the, the word the word the phrase she shed just sounds like a a really Dank. Never mind. I'm not going to go. Into, uh, people will call me sexist. I'm not going to go into that. But uh, 
Yeah, it's not the most pleasing. Like, Man Cave sounds better than She Shed. I think they need something a little bit more, you know, fitting for a feminine I, place to hang out that's separate from, you know, the rest I, of the house that's there specifically. I think anything they call it is going to sound it's going to sound like a vagina to me, and that's a shame, you know, because uh, we just had different anatomy than the our female counterparts and or whatever. I'm getting into gross stuff now, guys. I'm tired, and this is what I sound the wackiest people was when I'm tired, so... Well, anything uh, that's a euphemism for vagina that makes me think of vagina always makes me happy, so She Shed is now back on my list of things that I like. She Shed, Pam Wallet, (laughs) Fish Wrinkle. Oh, yeah, Beef Curtains, yes, indeed. (laughs) All right, we should probably cut this off before it goes too much more horrible. No, it's 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 good to me, man. But yeah, that's happening. And uh, I didn't mention anything in Death's Name, but I'm gonna mention something right now because I'm gonna put one of his tunes at the end of the uh, episode here today. Uh, uh, on this day, this Thursday, the sixth of of June, we're in June, right? Yeah. See, that's how tired I'm. Yeah. Fucking month we're in. We <laughs> lost. We lost. Uh, Mac Rebenek, who who's Doctor John? To people know, uh, this uh, New Orleans uh, legend. Has a a very identifiable voice, and if you guys don't know what that is, you guys should go seek it out. Uh, he is the inspiration and the look of uh, Doctor Teeth of Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem on the Muppet Show, which is when where I learned about him for the very first time. Because my father would tell me who Doctor John was, and I couldn't give a shit when I was six years old. But now I can turn on Doctor John's albums and just just drift away into that 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 voice of him. You know, he kind of sounds like a like if if Wolfman Jack was a blues singer, and he had, and he he had a baby with Tom Waits, then <laughs> that's that's who you would have, Doctor John, just tickling the ivories and just doing what he does, and he's no longer be doing that anymore, at least on this plane of existence. So I happen to find a song that that uh, revolves around the devil. That's a Doctor John song. You will hear it as soon as we're done talking here, and uh, that's the end of this plane of existence, and we'll. See you all next time on the Sun Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. Bye-bye now.
Oh